0: On this episode, I have Joshua Erickson back on to continue our series on the Jewish calendar and feast days. Again, I encourage everyone who has not done so to go back and listen to the first five episodes of this series. Today Joshua and I sit down and have a conversation about Passover. We go through the story of Exodus, then we talk about how the celebration is kept today and finish up by talking about what we as Mormons can take away from the events of Passover. That's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Because of your generosity last year, I was able to buy better audio equipment and software. I can't tell you how much it meant to me that not only did you spend your time here with me on the podcast, but also that you found enough value in what I'm doing that you donated the podcast to upgrade it. This year, I want to continue to grow. Now, I want to add video to the podcast to continue to help you, my guests, and myself connect better through the show. The other feature I'm working on for this podcast is something I have to remain vague about for now, but what I can say is that it's something that will help us better connect as fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks. Now, to get that equipment for the video content I want to do and to build the infrastructure for the other project with this podcast, donations would certainly be welcome. Or you can go to mormonrenegade.com, click that supply store button, and get some new swag. New stuff will be out soon as well. Now, if you can't afford to do either of those two things, I totally get it. Maybe just keep the podcast in your prayers that we'll be blessed with those resources. Again, thank you for everything you do as well as for listening to the podcast. Here's the unfortunate truth right now. As fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks... We can't expect to have accurate history told by others because true history and scholarship is problematic for certain people and organizations. We're going to have to do this work ourselves, and to do that we'll have to support each other in this kind of work. Now, anybody who's anybody in fundamentalist circles knows who Drew Briney is. He is perhaps the most prolific author within Mormon fundamentalism. Drew's newest project is something I think all Mormons can benefit from. He is in the process of creating an annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants. Once you have a copy of this, you will be able to compare current sections with previous versions and also what early LDS leaders had to say about that particular section. As fundamentalists and traditional LDS folks, we are constantly trying to get back into the minds of the early brethren. This project that Drew is engaged in right now is going to be the ultimate tool to help us do that. Now, because this annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants is such a massive undertaking, Drew needs some help from others. Drew's plan for getting this annotated version of the Doctrine and Covenants out is through crowdfunding. The link for that will be out April 4th. If you want more details sooner, go to Drew's Facebook page and message him from there, and he'll give you all the details. Further, on Saturday, April 8th, I'll be releasing an episode that talks about this project in greater detail. So please, if you feel impressed to do so and have the means, I'd humbly ask that you reach out to Drew and support this project that will help advance the scholarship and true doctrine of the restored gospel.
1: You're listening to the Mormon Renegade
0: Podcast. Dude, we're back again. Yeah, and uh, got a lot to talk about today. This is a little heavier than Purim.
1: Yes, quite a bit heavier, actually. Yeah, Purim is very light and uh, uh, fun and fanciful even, and uh, Passover is heavy stuff. This is Angel of Death. Stuff. Right. Blood on the door stuff. Plagues
0: and and um and redemption and all that. I had a buddy who was who's an evangelical but also a big fan of hard rock and heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And he always <clears throat> said he was like, That episode from Egypt when Moses is there, he's like, That's straight metal. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that's probably not a bad way of putting it, right? I mean plagues and, and everything else. So I mean the
1: horror the horror of the whole the whole uh, the whole scene leading up to Passover is just is horrendous. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and yeah, and and here's the thing: anytime you enslave a people, it's not going to go well for you.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I, I would say amen to that. Yep. Yeah. So tyranny uh, tyranny always brings its uh, its own reward. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So okay, yeah. So Passover is a big deal uh, not only for Judaism but for Christianity. Obviously, um, and Judaism and Christianity both kind of um, point to uh, various Passovers as the foundation or the beginning of their religion. Of course, uh, Christianity um, looks at the, the ancient Israelite uh, Passover as a type and shadow in many ways of the, uh, the Passover that occurred with Jesus as uh, the Lamb of God, right? And um, so it, it really, there's so much of the scriptures that, uh, the symbolism in the scriptures um, that go back to, or point back to um, to the Passover and the Exodus, or I suppose you could say the other way around that so much of the, uh, the occurrences that happened with the Passover and Exodus actually point forward to um, gospel things and also uh even as as do all the feasts point to future realities that are yet to be uh yet to be fulfilled so
0: you know you can correct me if i'm wrong on this i'm used to be <laughs> i'm used to being wrong um to me i always looked at passover and found it to be unique in the sense that it was both a religious holiday as well as something that I think we could kind of almost equate to 4th of July on our end a little bit, right? This, oh. is, this is the birth of a nation.
1: This is Independence Day. Yeah. In a real way, this is Independence Day for the nation of Israel.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of a, yeah, the, the birth of a nation. I don't know how else to put it. That is
1: the way to put it. Yeah. yeah. They, this is when Israel as, um, I mean, Israel... Israel is of course uh, the name, the uh, the additional name given to the new name given to Jacob, mm-hmm. right after he wrestles with the angel, um, and uh, and then he's got his his family, his twelve sons, and he's got at least one daughter that's mentioned, um, and you know they have children and stuff, but by the time uh, by the time they're ready to leave, you know. You know uh, all, when they go down into Egypt, that's kind of a that's kind of a proto, proto nation, right? It's right. a little, uh, it's the seed of a nation. But by the time they leave Egypt, they're many millions strong, and so it was you know, miraculous on a you know in an now, enormous scale.
0: And and I think, I think also the the founders of this country recognize that. I mean, our first seal wasn't. The eagle with the arrows. It our first seal was Moses crossing the Red Sea with the children of Israel and Pharaoh's armies being drowned. Yeah, Independence I mean, Day. So yeah, it was. Yeah, there there was this. Okay, I'll give a spoiler. You're gonna want to show up to the Torah conference. I'm talking a little bit about this when 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 you're there. But yeah, it was it was very much the the founders saw a lot that they could equate to and whatever your views are on blacks in the priesthood i think by now we should all agree slavery is probably not a great thing at least the slavery that was practiced uh, you know for for the africans during um during uh, antebellum period oh yeah there's there's because it what it's not what it describes in the bible there's no justification for that if you look if you look at the bible that was that was indentured servitude with an end date right yeah there was an expiration date there this was something different, and I've often looked at the Civil War and thought, yeah, we probably paid a price. Oh, we definitely did. Yeah. right. That was that there was a little bit of divine retribution there. yeah, amen to that. So
1: okay, where to begin? I guess I mean, Exodus is a beginning. Um, Passover is a beginning as as we've been mentioning already. So Exodus chapter twelve, this is um, this is, you know before that, um, in Exodus we have the story of. Um, you know, there being a new pharaoh who didn't know about Joseph, and uh, the Egyptians are worried about this growing uh, population of Israelites, and you know whether they're how loyal they are to the Egyptian crown. And um, Pharaoh says to start uh, drowning the the male children, right? Um, and of course, we have the uh, the story of the the. Valiant midwives, right? Who uh, who lie to Pharaoh and say, "Oh, we, you know, we've tried to do your order, but uh, the, uh, the the midwives or the uh, the the Hebrew women, uh, they're lively and they just give birth before we show up and and um, um, and so Pharaoh wasn't pleased with that, but uh, the scripture says that God blessed those midwives. Well, um, anyway. Um, Pharaoh of course uh, decides that if we can't control their population we'll, we'll continue to try to control their population um, uh, but we're also going to enslave them in as a as a means of controlling the Israelite population and uh, of course then Moses comes into the story and this is and he's Moses typifies uh, Christ in so many ways in this story I mean the the first bit we get about Moses is, um, well, going back to the story of Jesus, right? The uh, We know the wise men come, and uh, Herod um, is not happy that there's going to be a new king, right? Um, and so he sends soldiers to go and kill all of the, the babies. Of course, uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they flee to Egypt for safety. Ironic. Yeah, and so here, uh, here we have... Um, again actually a uh would say a messiah type figure uh in moses and um he's going to he actually is going to take take the crown essentially from pharaoh um pharaoh doesn't know that yet but um but yeah there's a wicked king who tries to kill the the babies to get rid of this promised child but the promised child actually finds refuge in Egypt, actually, in Pharaoh's house, right, is where Moses um, is raised. And um, at some point, uh, um, Moses—he's raised as an Egyptian, raised as a prince, um, even—but uh, he is out uh, observing the um, the Israelites uh, in their bondage. He sees an Egyptian uh, taskmasters like seriously abusing uh, this Israelite man, and he secretly, or he thinks it secretly, he um, defends the Israelite man and ends up killing the Egyptian and buries him in the sand and hopes that no one will know about it. But uh, people did find out about it somehow, right? And Moses is afraid that uh, word is going to get out, and word does get out, and so he flees, and he ends up in uh, Midian, <clears throat> um, you know, which is um, Midian was one of uh, Abraham's children from uh, mm-hmm. Keturah, so <clears throat> he ends up in Midian. Ends up uh, um, in the camp of Jethro, all right, who ends up being his father-in-law. And uh, the Midianites um, they have uh, they have next to you know next to their next to Jethro's land is uh, a mountain which they call the Mountain of the Lord. It is which was. Sinai or Horeb and um, you know, we know the story Moses sees this uh, you know, he's tending sheep and he sees uh, this uh, burning bush right, which is burning and not being consumed and this is obviously a curious thing and he goes there to see what's going on and uh, the Lord speaks to him through or from the bush right, from the fire and gives him a, a mission and uh, Moses is not real happy about that. Uh, but God says, you're the one. And, you know, I'll give you your brother Aaron is there and he can help, too. So
0: there's so many things about Moses's story that I find <clears throat> fascinating. Right. Uh, and some of it I can relate to, although I'll never be as good as Moses. But this idea of discovering your parentage. Right. Discovering your heritage. Mm. And then having that heritage be at odds with the worldly powers of the time. I think that's something we can all relate to at this point, right? As we discover <laughs> yeah. we're of the family of God, there's a reason we don't fit in with yeah. the rest of society. Also, I you know I remember when I first became a Mormon, uh, when I joined the LDS Church, I had to leave my hometown because I was trying to quit drinking. And I was at that point where... The party found me. I didn't have to go look for it anymore. Yeah. And so I had to remove myself. And I removed myself to an itty-bitty town mm. about 45 minutes away where no one knew me, where I was out in the country. And so there, there's some parallels there, right? Oh, yeah.
1: That, what you described there is is the passover story
0: right yeah.
1: in uh in microcosm
0: right? yeah yeah you're you're removed and so there there you was a get lot out of, of egypt yeah there was a lot of moses's story that that i could identify with and and i've often thought and we'll get to it in a minute when he has to go back and talk to pharaoh that must have been a strange reunion and i can sympathize a little bit with that because i'll run mm-hmm. into guys from time to time when i'm back in idaho that i screwed around with and it's a little awkward, right? Because yeah, no you know they're like, "You want to go grab one?" And I'm like, "No, no, I'm mm-hmm. I'm 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 not much of a partaker <laughs> anymore." And I remember one guy goes, "What? Did you become a Mormon?" <laughs> I'm no. like, "Yep." yep. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, and you can only imagine what it must have been like for Moses to go through all of this, to be so high and be brought low. Um, I think I think the way Cecil Demille. Painted yeah. it when when Charlton Heston was crossing the desert, where you know, it turns you know men into prophets, sort of a thing. Yeah, oh, there's some there's some good movies that have been made. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, this is a this is actually a this is a type of Christ as well. I mean, really Moses condescends. Yeah. From Egyptian royalty to identifying himself with the slaves. Yeah. I mean, Hebrew, he says. You know.
0: Yeah, he, he's, yeah. I think there's something that we can all take away from Moses' story. There's some, there, it's such an integral story of, of just not, just not the nation of Israel, not just the Jewish people, not just Mormons or anybody else. I think there's something very intrinsic there. Yeah. That, that we can take from. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's why it's, I mean, um, you know, the Bible's the oldest. The oldest book in the world that's still read, yeah. you know, and the most widely read ancient yep. book, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, these stories are everyone's story, right? Yep. And they just and the the stories keep unfolding, generation yeah. after generation. Yeah, and always will because there's just uh, truth there that has to do with man's struggle. Yeah, for freedom and for salvation. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it, it it's made an impression to the point that it's in the psyche of every human, I think. Now. Yeah. Right, yeah, I, had a, I had a good friend who was an atheist uh, named Jason, and he once said, "So why doesn't God continue to talk out of burning bushes?" I said, "Because if anyone <clears> who was religious saw a burning bush, we all know we're going the other direction because nothing good's coming after that." <laughs> so, uh, amazing.
1: Well, um, we won't go over too much of the other the story, you know. But of course, um, you know Moses asks for uh, Pharaoh to let them go. Pharaoh says no. Then there's plague, and we just go back and forth with Pharaoh saying, "Okay, okay, call it off," and um, then another plague uh, comes along. Right, ten of them, uh, culminating in uh, the final. The final two plagues are darkness, and then death, the the, the slaying of the firstborns. Yeah. And uh, this brings us to um, Exodus chapter twelve, which is so all that other stuff was you know the first part of Exodus. But in Exodus chapter 12, um, I'll read here. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be to you the first month of the year to you. <clears throat> so, uh, so yeah, this is really a beginning. This, not only of their calendar, um, which it was, this is, of course, Passover is in the spring, and it actually used to be much more widespread. This idea of uh, New Year's being in the spring. Our uh, our Roman calendar has switched it to winter, um, January, uh, but it used to be in the spring. And uh, this is this is why April first is April's April Fool's Day because there was a, a propaganda um, <laughs> propaganda uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, push to uh, try to uh, Get people to stop celebrating new year in the spring really yeah and and if you did then you were called April fool, so
0: <clears throat> really, I didn't know that that's fascinating, yeah
1: yeah, um so anyway um so yeah, this is going to be the beginning not only of the uh, the calendar but also the beginning of the nation like we uh, like we mentioned already now this goes actually uh this actually goes way way back before that hmm. um because if you go to um, Exodus 12 um, 40 let's see 40 and 41 now this is this is after they like the day that they're leaving <coughs> which was by the way on the uh, the 15th of the month so I'll back up just a little um, so uh, beginning of chapter 12 he says this is going to be the beginning of the month this is basically going to be the new year here. So the first day of the first month is going to be the new year. And then later on, we'll talk about it a little more. On the 10th day of this month, they were supposed to pick out a lamb, excuse me, um, or a goat to be the Passover. And then and then uh, the 15th, starting on the 15th and for seven days, they're going to have uh, the Feast of unleavened Bread. So, and this uh, this timing of the first month actually is there's an interesting mirror with the seventh month. We talked about some of the festivals of the seventh month, but on the seventh month, on the first of the month is uh, trumpets, and then on the tenth is uh, Yom Kippur, right. and then on the fifteenth for seven days is the Feast of Tabernacles. So, in the first month we have New Year. On the 10th, we select the lamb. On the 15th, and for a week, we have vessel festival of love and bread. And then in the seventh year month, we have the first is the Feast of Trumpets, or but also called Rosh Hashanah, so the head of the year. It's a, it's a kind of a new year as well. And then we have the Day of Atonement on the 10th, um, and then uh, Tabernacles. And, and there's, there's this kind of symmetry between the first and the seventh month, um, uh, for good reasons, right. um, there's actually a real connection between um, between those. So, um, of course, uh, Passover and is when we left Egypt, but but the that's like when the when our redemption was completed. But the redemption began. This is a little bit of Jewish tradition. The redemption began uh, in the seventh month. On uh, Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, that's like that's when the plagues began. So, so oh. the tradition is like for six months off. You know, there'd be a, a few days or weeks of plague, and then there would be a little break, and then another you know days or weeks of plague. You know, for ten plagues, and then by the time it comes to um, Passover, which is the fourteenth, and then fifteenth is the uh, the day of unleavened bread, the first day of unleavened bread. Then you know that's when our redemption is complete, and we actually have. Freedom. So, okay, all that, though, is to say that this, this wasn't actually, um, this is a beginning, but the story of Passover actually begins uh, centuries before that. So in uh, chapter 12, verse 40, it says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in um, Egypt, and there's actually a corruption in the text there. Um, it should say who dwelt in Canaan and Egypt. Um, that is what the uh, hmm. the Septuagint and um, uh, some older uh, versions, uh, and in um, in the New Testament, it talks about that too. So anyway, uh, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Canaan and Egypt was four hundred and thirty years. And it came to pass at the end of the four hundred and thirty years, even the self same day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord. Went out from the land of Egypt. Mm. So, hosts of the Lord. This is of course, like the Hebrew, there is the uh, the armies of the Lord. So this is the Lord's army, Israel. Right. So, so on, to the day, uh, four hundred and thirty years ago. To the day. Now, what is the day they're talking about? Even the self same day. That is the day that uh, the Lord commanded Abraham to go to Canaan. And where God said, "I will give you this land," oh. so that's uh, you know that goes that goes back to Genesis yeah. twelve. Okay, so Genesis twelve, um, verse one. Now, Jehovah had said unto Abraham, "Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee." And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay, so there it is. And, and that uh, that promise was repeated to Abraham a few times. But it's, it's interesting because um, the story of Abraham is actually... Uh, a microcosm of the Passover again, because he Abraham starts out in Canaan. And where does Israel start? They start out in Canaan as well. And then uh, at some point, um, Abraham goes to Egypt and says the problem was there was a famine, right? There's a famine. So Abraham goes to Egypt, and um, he stays there for a little bit and eventually, um uh there's that uh there's that episode with uh, Pharaoh wanting his wife, right? and uh he ends up Abra- Abraham ends up rich because of uh, that mess up there and the and the little white lie that was told. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> She's my sister. Uh, and then Abraham leaves and goes back to uh Canaan. Okay, and this is kind of the story of of Israel as well, right? Jacob and his twelve sons are in Canaan. There's a famine. They go down to Egypt, and they're there for a little while. And eventually, they come out uh, with great riches, yeah. and go back. To, eventually, go back to Canaan, and uh, and the Israelites when they go back to Canaan, then they drive out the inhabitants. Now, um, the story for Abraham is. Um, he goes down. There's a famine. He goes to Egypt. Comes out with great riches back, and then he he uh, drives out some of the inhabitants too. He uh, he has wars with um, yep. some of the the kings around Sodom and Gomorrah, and then of course Sodom and Gomorrah are and the other cities of the plain are, you know, miraculously destroyed. But there's this this cleansing of the land for Abraham's sake. Um, well, you could say for Abraham's sake. Um, so there's this there's this mirror there. Um, between the father, who's Abraham, and his, you know, his posterity, which is Israel.
0: You know, the, the, <clears throat> the other thing that I find fascinating for both Moses and Abraham is this idea of get out of the country. Leave. I'm chopping you off to do something different. Yeah. What you're in now is corrupt. <clears throat> you need to be removed if you seek righteousness. And I think that there is something there that, that that I think we all have to wrestle with, which is looking at our current circumstance and go, is it good or is it bad? Well, if it's bad, if it's corrupt, then you gotta you gotta leave. Right? And and I find that It's to corrupt
1: be and, and irreparable.
0: And irreparable. It's time to leave. That's right. Right? It's time to pack up and move. And to me, that is that is something that takes strength on the part of the person. I understand God's commanding it, but you're not going to get that out of somebody who's just super, who's just weak or, or can't think for themselves or something like that. It takes a little bit of, of guts, right? Oh, for yeah. lack of a better term. I remember being 24, having four kids. The night before I leave for Maryland, I'm laying in my house a nice house, comfortable house in Western Idaho, looking up the ceiling with everything packed up thinking, what the hell am I doing? I know, crazy. Right? And so I think there's something here where the Lord is saying, even if it's not a physical move, maybe it's a spiritual move. Maybe the the current system you know, you're in or the current system you have espoused or the current system you have developed for yourself isn't working doesn't seem good is irreparable it's time to move yeah yeah
1: especially when yeah and, and you'll know that too right
0: yep oh he, he makes it he makes it very yeah. clear
1: and it's uh it's damaging to your soul yep to know that you are in a bad place and doing the wrong things
0: and to do it anyway yep yep yeah because I think we all have that little bit of light of Christ in us that calls to us and says yeah you better go. This is
1: and, not the place for you. I, I'm reminded of the kind of the contrast between uh, Abram and his father, Terah. right? Terah. I mean, uh, there's not a lot in uh, Genesis about Terah, but in some of the the midrash, the, you know the stories, extra biblical stories, um, Terah's an idolater. There's my favorite story is I, Abram's, uh, you know, a young man, and he's trying to figure out. Uh, he, he wants. Uh, he wants to be God's friend. He wants to know God. He wants to serve God. He wants to find out who the real God is and serve the the living God. And uh, his father, uh, Terah, has a room full of idols. And um, at some point, he comes to realize that like these are these are all just man made things. These are made by human hands. So this definitely can't. These definitely can't be gods. And so, um, he. He decides he's going to just chop up all the idols in his father's little idol room, whatever that's called. <laughs> and uh, he takes a hatchet to all the idols. There's just like, I don't know, dozens and dozens of them and chops them all up. And then, um, except for uh, except for the biggest one. And he like puts the axe in the biggest idol's hands. <laughs> and Tara comes home and uh, he's like... <gasps> goes you know goes to pray or whatever i don't know make his offering and everything is just in splinters you know all the all his idols are just in splinters and shattered stone and whatever and abram 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 what's going on what you know what's the meaning of this and uh abram says well i you know i i brought in food to offer to your idols and um when i when i laid the plate of food down um all of the uh the little gods they like Started to reach out to grab it before the big god was able to take the food, and he got mad, and he chopped up all the other ones. And Tara's like, "That's ridiculous! Of course he can't do that. He's just
0: he's just he's, just,
1: he's just wood or stone or whatever." And uh, and uh, you know, Abram says, "Well, then why are
0: why are we worshiping? why are we
1: worshiping these? What are we doing?" But but Tara was um, you know Tara was Idomic, a servant of yeah. Nimrod. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was a part of Nimrod's kingdom, and just going along with. With the society and the government and the religion of his time, and was a coward really, and knew that this was not right, but just kept his head down, you know, and uh, did what was expected and didn't rock the boat, so to speak.
0: Well, and and I think this speaks to where we get ourselves, how we get ourselves into trouble, right? Is I think that it's one of those things where it's like you think about leaving a society, so to speak, or. And you're like, well, gosh, I, I got my job and it's a cushy job and I'm paid well and yeah, I got this house and if I'm if I'm not making idols, what am I gonna do, right? And so I'm, it, I'm good at it, yeah, yeah. And so I I think <clears throat> I think this is one of those things where where it really points to us. You better stand on principle at some point because if you have to make justifications for, well, Lord, you didn't expect me to like just. Leave all that, did you? Well, yeah, he kind of does.
1: Kind of does. Kind of does. So um, it gets to the point where there's going to be the uh, the final plague, right? The uh, the death of the firstborn, and so Jehovah tells Moses, uh, this is what we're going to do. Um, this is going to be this is going to be the destruction of Egypt and the redemption of. Israel and everyone, anyone who wants to be part of Israel, too, and that that was not, by the way, limited to the literal descendants of Jacob only. But when uh, when Israel left, it actually specifically says that there was a mixed multitude of people, um, hmm. Gentiles galore, who uh, who came along, who who were converted to the worship of the living God, you know, by all the things that they had seen, no doubt. Um, but you know, God said basically anyone who anyone who wants to survive this last plague, um, this is what you do. You take your lamb, choose it on the 10th day. On the 14th day, everyone together is going to kill the Passover. And by the way, Passover, um, it's just to get a little terminology here. Um, a lot of times in our everyday speech when we're talking about Passover, we, we get... The term Passover confused with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and sometimes we'll say that Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are the same thing. Uh, They're actually uh, two different but related things. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the thing that happens for seven days, where they eat matzah only, um, which is the unleavened bread. Passover is also um, not technically not a day. Passover is uh, the Lamb. Okay. And so when you read the scriptures, it says, kill the Passover on the 14th day. So the Passover is the animal. Um, that's the name of the animal that is killed on the 14th and then is eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs on the, the evening of the 15th. right? As, as nightfall comes after the 14th, then everyone's supposed to be inside. The blood is put on the doorposts, right? And there's... all. Just the the symbolism is so rich um, with the Lamb of God, and you know, applying the uh, the blood to the door of the house, and basically salvation is inside the house. That's like you know through through the blood that, you have to go enter right. through the door. You have to enter through the blood of the Lamb to be in um, in the house of Israel, essentially, right, or the houses of Israel, right, um, in order to be spared. <clears throat> so, um, the angel of death comes and says there's, you know, there's not a, there's not a house, uh, that isn't affected because there's firstborns all over the place. Right. And, um, so, um, uh, so again, I'm gonna, I want to kind of give the, uh, the broad overview, I guess here. Um, they, uh. Uh, finally, Pharaoh says, "You you have to leave. Like, I I've been wanting to keep you, but you have to leave. Actually, so they gather up all their, all their people, all their flocks. They, uh, the scriptures say to borrow um, gold and jewels from their Egyptian neighbors. Their Egyptian neighbors are happy to give them gold and jewels and treasure. Um, um, I mean, and, and in reality, it's not. Uh, uh, of course, Israel leaves with all this stuff. I would not call that theft, though. I think that's just." Uh, back payment for all of the uh, the years of slavery, right? Yeah. So anyway, they leave with all of that, and then um, and then Pharaoh um, hardens his heart again, right, and changes his mind and gets assembles what few chariots he has left because I mean the animals have been plagued. Um, As well, but gathers up what chariots he can and uh, chases them down. This is they the Israelites have had a few days head start, and they uh, they're at the Red Sea, right? And uh, Pharaoh meets them there, and of course the the army is held back by the pillar of fire until the sea splits, the Red Sea splits, and they go across. And this uh, so the on the first day of unleavened bread is when they actually leave Egypt. But then Pharaoh chases them. And then on the seventh day of Unleavened Bread, um, which if you include Passover, um, which is kind of, you know, Passover is like the the day to prepare for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it's it's the eighth day since Passover. And then that's when they go through the Red Sea. So that's on the, and, you know, the scriptures say that the first and last day of Unleavened Bread are um, special Sabbaths. Um, where we, there's supposed to be a, a, a holy convocation, it says, or a solemn assembly, um, and so on. That uh, on that seventh day is when they uh, passed through the uh, the Red Sea, and the, the armies of Pharaoh were destroyed. And this goes. I was, was going to point. I mean, this is. There's there's so many symbolic things, but um, one of them that is often kind of forgotten is the fact that. Um, the egyptians represent something and the egyptians really they represent uh, the people in your life who want to keep you in egypt right and you mentioned this earlier like um, when you try to leave there will be there will be people who want to pull you back into those old habits yep into that bondage of whatever sort it is you know spiritual uh, or you know bondage or addictions or bad relationships or um sins of all sorts um but uh you know that's that's a real part of the story too so
0: you know there's a lot of symbolism just in that little bit we we went through or things that we can take away obviously you know the blood of the lamb is a big one um but there's little ones too that pop out at you um when you talk about having you know killing the lambs these are slaves okay that, that are there, the, the Israelites at that time. They're huddled together close. We know that because of some things, you know, oral tradition and whatnot. The, the, it wasn't like the slaves were allowed to spread out. They want, you know, the Egyptians wanted them in one place so they could have an, their eye on them. Mm-hmm. Goshen was a huge one. They don't have room for livestock, so if they have a lamb, that lamb it's precious it's It's almost a pet yeah now i want i want to paint this picture because the lord's trying to teach something here this is an animal that your kids have played with this is an animal that has probably become kind of like a dog right i love my dog when when all when everything else is down my dog is always there right always happy to see me right and then you're going to kill that lamb. Yeah. You're going to see your father kill that lamb. Right. I had to put a dog down just over a year ago that we had for 13 years. I bet you bawled like a baby. I bawled like a little girl. Yeah. I have no other way to say it. I That tore me up worse than I thought it would.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, you, it's surprising.
0: It is surprising. When you're faced with that. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, emotion involved. Yeah.
0: yeah, and now all of a sudden it, it takes on a different – feel when you realize that these people had that animal that animal was was kind of a part of the family at that point and then to watch your father or maybe you have to go do it uh, there's some symbolism there likewise with with the gold and the silver and the jewels that are taken out of egypt i think we can draw from that this idea of there's things that we can take out of the world that aren't inherently evil mm. Mm-hmm. and then use them for them good use yeah, yeah, yeah. now like the that. same gold that was used to that was taken from the Egyptians I shouldn't say taken but because from oral tradition that I've read and I could be wrong Joshua the Egyptians are almost throwing it at them, right like yeah. take oh, it yeah. and go go just get get out you know here's all your gold whatever you need just go so they're throwing it at them that same gold can be used to um put the trim Around the tabernacle, yep. on the ark of the covenant, and it can also be used to make a golden calf. That's right. That's good Yeah. So there's some symbolism there. The other is later on in in the in the story of the Israelites when they get to Canaan and they got to go to war. And I'd never thought about this till my buddy brought it up. He's like, "Where do you think they got the weapons for war?" And I'm like, "I don't know." He's like, "They were picking them up off the seashore from the Egyptians, and washing them up." Yeah, like that. Then maybe so. I like and, that. And he, so there the symbolism here is rich and deep, and there's so much we can take away from this if we spend some time really reading the story and, and not just reading it, but immersing ourselves in it and thinking about it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, beautiful stuff. I mean, the, uh, the story of Passover and the Exodus just has uh, so many layers, and they yeah. just pile up on top of one another. It's almost hard to... Like we're not—we're—we're we're just going to scratch the surface yep. in this little meeting here. Yep. So, I do want to uh, now that we've kind of laid, you know, the, the, ground laid work. the groundwork, and and you know most people are kind of familiar with the, I think the the basics of the story. But um, thanks, Charlton Heston. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, uh, I think Mormons can have uh, kind of an especial appreciation of the symbolic meaning of this story. Um, because of our kind of view of the plan of salvation, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna I'm going to uh, lay this out just in brief. But you know, there's all kinds of details that we could pick out there. So um, the the story, as I as I mentioned, kind of it starts out with Abraham, um, and he is the father of the faithful. That's one of Abraham's names, and. Um, and then he has a son, and he has a son. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and these are the three patriarchs. Okay, and um, and Jacob uh, Jacob actually becomes uh, the people of Israel. Okay, um, so then um, then when we're talking about the the Mormon idea of the plan of salvation, it kind of it all starts with uh, these three. It starts with our father. Um, you know it starts with Father Son and Holy Ghost okay and um, and of course the uh, the middle one is the one that's sacrificed right and so right. with Abraham Isaac and Jacob that's that is the case as well and also uh, and this is a un- you know kind of a uniquely Mormon thing is that the story uh, the story of the plan of salvation doesn't start on earth mm-hmm. it actually starts in heaven mm-hmm. okay so uh, but the story of Israel uh, starts in Canaan which is the promised land which is symbolic of heaven right okay and then so we all start in you know Israel starts in the promised land and then they go down to Egypt which is the world right and everything's good at first right and when we come to the earth everything's good at first because we're innocent and we're not accountable but at some point um, slave you know Sin enters in, right? the the bondage of sin, I will say, and uh, and then there's all the all that goes along with that, and um, and then uh, and then eventually there's a there's a savior provided, and then on, uh, you know we, you know there's a savior provided in the Passover story. There was the lamb. Okay, we uh, we leave the world behind. We leave the Egyptians behind. They don't want us to leave. Uh, they want to keep us in sin we come to um, you know but we but we put our faith in the savior in the lamb um and then we come to this point where we've had we have faith um so we you know we put the blood on our house and uh we repent you know we we are like we're not going to build up egypt anymore we're going to do what god wants us to do that's repentance Right. Okay, and we're going to go out into uh, the wilderness, and then that prepares us for baptism, and that is the that is the Red Sea, right? Israel, the entire, as a nation, as a uh, which in the scriptures is often referred to as a as a person, like Israel as a as a body, right. is sometimes referred to as God's son, sometimes referred to as God's servant, sometimes as God's wife. Uh, just depending on the metaphor that's being used, but uh, but as a corporate body, uh, we go underneath the water, right? And this is on the on the eighth day, too, hmm. right? So the the number eight is is connected to um, baptism, right? Okay, in lots of stories, <clears throat> eight Jaredite barges and right. eight, eight people on Noah's ship, and uh, and so on. So we go under the uh, we go under the water, and then there's a pillar of fire that guides us, and this is the Holy Ghost, right? And then we go out into the wilderness, and uh, and there's a period of purification, right? So after after we're baptized, the scriptures you know, would refer to this as like justification, but then there's a period of sanctification where we become holy. Now, in in the story of Israel, it's the the old generation dying off bit by bit and being replaced by the new generation, who then is finally worthy to enter heaven again, enter the promised land. Um, and so there's, uh, so there's this, this cool thing, right, where we, we start in heaven, we descend to earth, go through all these trials and uh, plagues, and, and eventually escape, and there's baptism, and then there's all this sanctification, and then ultimately we, want, we end up back in the same place where we began. And the other cool thing about it uh, is that um, and I mentioned this earlier is that uh Abraham, who is symbolic of the father here right um earlier in the story, he actually did all that stuff first before right Abraham does this stuff, yeah, he starts out in Canaan, goes down to Egypt and returns to Canaan and goes through all the struggles and things, and then his descendants make the same um you trace in you trace his footsteps uh so to speak so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of details that could be pulled out there
0: yeah and what i find funny is that this story continues to cycle through in time after time right you can see it in this story that we're talking about you can see it in in the the colonists that were here for religious freedom, right? We're going to break away. We're going to go do something different. And then you see it again with, with uh, you know, in, in three or four generations after them where we're breaking from England. And then let's make it really Mormon. Now Brigham's going to take the saints out of the United States and break away yeah. again. Mormon Moses. Right, exactly. And so this story can. I would imagine that we're going to see another episode of this, only maybe not so physical, right? Maybe now it's a matter of spiritually coming out of Egypt, oh, yeah. right? Whatever your Egypt is, there's this idea now of coming out of it. Maybe it's shutting off the social media. Maybe it's, you know, just finding a way to leave Egypt or Babylon behind you and go forward. Hmm yeah I mean um,
1: yeah yeah I have a lot of thoughts going through my mind, but yeah it's part of it is um uh part of it is the the truth of knowing what it is you're supporting i mean in in one sense they were slaves, yes, okay, and so um, I don't know how much you know we can't we can't necessarily blame individual Israelites for that, but in another sense, um, like we we sell ourselves yeah. into slavery, right? Yeah. It's like okay, we'll go along with that, and and before you know it, you're you're actually building up Egypt. Yes. Yeah. And um, and I think part of the plagues, part of the plagues is to get you know Pharaoh's attention, but part of it's probably to get the Israelites' attention too. To be like, hey, you see this beautiful Nile. You know that you, they probably, they probably, maybe they loved the Nile. You know, they took pride in this awesome river that was, well, uh, that was in least, their country. At know.
0: least the giver of life. Yeah, through there, there right? I mean, you're probably drawing your water from there yeah. and wells associated with it.
1: Here it is. Yep. I'm gonna turn it to blood. All the fish are gonna die. It's gonna stink. Then frogs are gonna come out, and all the things that, uh, <clears throat> at some point, all the things that you thought maybe were kind of cool or nice about Egypt and they did think Egypt was nice they they you know complained to Moses over and over let's go back uh, you know uh, in Egypt we had uh, cucumbers and leeks to eat you know um, and at least and at least we were <laughs> at least at least the Egyptians fed us and it's like wow you would you would, I mean it's it's selling your birthright for a mess of pottage you know yep like you would trade your freedom for some cucumbers. Well, and I Except. think
0: it's actually deeper than that. So I've 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 thought about this a little bit once when when we adopted our twins, we had to become foster parents first. Yeah. Which was just asinine, right? I have four kids who are doing well because of my wife. I'm not gonna lie. It was yeah, no doubt. It had nothing to do with me. But anyway, they're doing good, and I'm taking a class on parenting from somebody who's never had kids. Ugh. Drove me nuts. No doubt. Right? But I played the game. One day I was getting ready to head out of that class. I mean, I'd go to that class, and I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to get out of here. Right? <laughs> I would be watching the clock, and I'm like, I'm out. One day I get caught. <clears throat> I was talking to another guy, and the lady who was teaching the class came up and said, Hey, um, I was wondering if you would go with us because i'm a pretty big guy right Mm -hmm. we have to do what they call an extraction okay from a house and the 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 city police department was fairly thin and she's like they've assured us that it's safe but i would like some help there's going to be one other cop there and i'm like okay fine right so i get in there let's do this and we drive down there and it's just horrible conditions joshua There's no food in the house. There's moldy food in the house. There is feces on the wall. Filth and squalor. It's filth and squalor. And you can tell these kids have been abused. Like, having been a former smoker, I know what a cigarette butt burn looks like. And those kids had them. It was horrific. Horrific. Made me want to pound somebody. I was like, where is he? I got something I want to give him. And... What struck me is even when we were telling the kids, we're going to take you someplace safer. You're going to be able to go someplace where there's good food. They fought. They were like, I can't leave here. I got to stay here. I got to stay here. This is where I'm at. And there's this human condition that we get in where the fear of the unknown seems worse than whatever condition you're in now and i think that Stuck that we can center. take that lesson away that yeah sometimes the unknown is way better oh yeah than what's here
1: devil you don't the devil you know is better than devil yeah
0: than devil. i don't i don't necessarily ascribe to that in most cases i think well maybe not right <laughs> and and i think right. i think that's the lord saying don't be too scared of change change yeah. is inevitable
1: so yeah so i think part of the plagues was god just had to destroy egypt yeah. so it doesn't it's not appealing anymore because yep. it's just hail and fire and
0: all He the, did his... Yeah.
1: Like, let's just destroy this place so that my people are not going to feel a desire to stay. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I mean, that happens. Their, their world fell, fell apart. Um, and they experienced a lot of the plagues too. Not all of them. But uh, the first few the Israelites and the Egyptians felt equally. right? Mm-hmm. So there's, uh, you know, and there's a lesson in that too. Like God's people are not guaranteed to have an easy time at it. When the, the plagues and the destruction come, like you're going to feel it too. But um, but ultimate destruction, um, you know, there's a promise there that ultimate destruction will not, but you will pass over you, right? So, yeah, so... Um, uh, let's see. So now there's uh, uh, there's there's kind of three uh, three kind of closely related um, festivals or important days uh, surrounding Passover. There's there's the Passover itself, which is as I mentioned before is the is the lamb actually, and the lamb or the or the goat is uh, killed on the on the fourteenth. And then, beginning on the fifteenth and going for seven days, we have the feast of unleavened bread. And why unleavened bread? Um, to remind them of the haste with which they left Egypt. Right? They they couldn't wait for their bread to rise, and so they bake these flat, uh, this flat bread. And then uh, the other thing is late. This didn't this didn't happen um, when they first left Egypt, but later on. Um, in Leviticus, like in Leviticus 23, uh, it talks about the first fruits offering, and this is the this um, this is the first fruits of the barley. So in uh, in the land of Israel, the barley becomes ripe at about the time um, of Passover, a little before, and uh, the rule that God gave is uh, when the barley starts to become ripe, uh, no one can eat. Uh, you're not supposed to eat uh, the new grain until the first offering has been made uh, to God and then and then and then you can partake of the bread huh. after that so and that uh, that uh, first day of first fruits actually um, uh, <coughs> there are different traditions about this and we can talk about that a little bit but it's it's connected with the Feast of unloving bread I'll just say that um, one, uh, the most common tradition, which is the tradition that the rabbis take, is that the, the day when the, the first uh, sheaf of barley is supposed to be um, offered is the second day of unleavened bread. Mm. Okay. Um, the Karites, uh, which is another branch of Judaism, they feel like that it's, it's going to be basically the Sunday during the feast of unleavened bread, whenever that it doesn't okay. could be, um, could be the first or the second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth or seventh day. But when there's going to be a Sunday in there somewhere, it'll be the day after the weekly Sabbath, basically. Um, so, and in ancient times, these two views were basically the the Pharisees and the Sadducees like disagreed. Of course, about, it is about uh, and the Sadducees were of the. Uh, of the opinion that the uh the first fruit offering mentioned in leviticus 23 should be like during the sunday uh during the feast of unleavened bread and the pharisees said no it should be the second day of unleavened bread whenever that is okay um, so uh fast forwarding now to um jesus and his fulfillment of course there's so many things that uh, Je- that jesus fulfilled he's referred to as the Lamb of God. And over and over throughout the scriptures, when it, when it talks about a lamb, like in the book of Revelation, there's this lamb that's talked about, and um, uh, I mean, it's, it's referring to this uh, Passover imagery. Okay, so there's all kinds of things that actually, uh, the, the, uh, the celebration of Passover and the different kind of rituals, they, they point to, they talk about Jesus's triumphant entry. They talk about uh, his cleansing the, of the temple. Um, they foreshadow um, him as the uh, as the Passover Lamb. Um, the significance of the uh, the Lord's Supper or the sacrament. Um, the uh, the Passover rituals foreshadow the place and time of his crucifixion. Uh, they foreshadow those responsible for his death. Uh, there's foreshadowing of the three days in the tomb, and also the uh, the time of his resurrection. So, all of those things are fulfilled in detail uh, by Jesus and his yeah. his uh, Passion Week, basically. So, first one is the uh, the triumphant entry. So this, uh, and you can read this is in uh, John uh, in the Gospels. Um, Matthew and Mark talk about it too, but this is when uh, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, and uh, everyone's shouting Hosanna, and they've got the palm uh, branches, and they're throwing down their um, uh, you know, jackets or whatever to uh, to make a, a path for him, and they they hail him as king, right? Essentially, and this uh, th- at this point, like until. This this really is this uh, setting. Jesus gets set apart from the rest of the Israelites. He's been mingling with them. He's been mingling with the the low right? The tax mm-hmm. collectors, the prostitutes, um, and uh, you know the sinners. Uh, and but now suddenly he is he's gaining traction. He's gaining popularity, and he suddenly uh, gets elevated to. King, essentially, I mean, in it's symbolically speaking, they recognize him as that, and uh, this, you know, the uh, the leadership has been nervous about him. Oh yeah. But they're like, no, no, th- we definitely got to take care of this problem. Uh, this is embarrassing, right? And this this happens. Um, this John gives the timing. This this happens on the tenth day of Passover or tenth day of the first month. This is when the Passover lambs are uh, so set can- apart. From the rest of the flock, as the as the sacrificial lamb, mm-hmm. so here he is uh, set apart on his uh, with with the triumphal entry. So, um, Jesus, of course, cleanses the temple too. Okay, and he makes a whip, and it's a it's a great story for all those people who yeah uh, you know, have the uh, the uh, big teddy bear loving accepting Jesus right that. Um, wouldn't hurt a flea or whatever, right? But you know, he braids a, takes the time to braid a whip and then goes in and flips over the tables and cleans house. Yep. And um, uh, this is fulfilling the Passover uh, symbolism as well because in preparation for the uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're supposed to clean their houses of all the, the chametz or the leaven. So... Here he is. He's, he says, I'm cleaning my father's house, right, of the wickedness that's there. And, of course, uh, leaven in the scriptures has a number of meanings, but uh, generally, uh, not always, but generally there's kind of a negative connotation. Right. Leaven is represented representative of sin of some sort or um, false ideas at least like Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees right right um, now it's not always it's not always negative um, but usually it is Jesus also says to his followers a little leaven leavens the whole lump like he he wants us to be the leaven for the world but right uh, but with um, the righteous counterpart to the leaven of the the Pharisees and the wicked you know these the, these uh Uh, uninspired uh, traditions that the pharisees are constantly trying to pile on to everybody and jesus he gets criticized for not following their traditions all the time even though he's sinless he's he's keeping all the commandments but he does not keep their traditions you know he picks some food on the sabbath and heals people on the sabbath and His, you know, his disciples eat with unwashed hands, and he's being criticized constantly. But all these things that he's being criticized about, none of them are actual commandments, right? These are otherwise he's not sinless, right? They're all uh, they're all the traditions of the the Pharisees, which he says beware of this this leavening that they have. So, um, so so he's uh, so there's there's some corruption in the temple, too, and who knows what all that entails? I've heard theories about um you know uh, you know people bring animals and and uh um you know the priests were maybe saying oh you know you know we found this problem with your lamb that you brought so um uh, why don't you uh, you know we have some here though that you can buy from us that are certified or whatever and they were you know kind of um abusing the system
0: they turned it into a money-making operation
1: yeah, yeah Jesus didn't like that no so he cleaned the leaven out of his uh, out of his father's house um, then of course uh, he is the lamb um, you know that the scriptures are, are full of that um, and he's not only is he the lamb but he's the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world or the, from the foundation of the world so this is always the plan and um. um Time and place of uh, his crucifixion. Um, now, in the uh, in Exodus chapter twelve, when they're when Jehovah is giving instructions, he tells them to on the on the fourteenth. He says you're supposed to kill uh, kill the Passover lambs on uh, in the afternoon. Um, the Hebrew phrase is uh, between the evenings. Okay. So uh, in the the Hebrew uh, the Hebrew way of uh, thinking about the day, there's actually two evenings and, and we actually um, in our English modern speech we refer to these things as evenings too the first evening is noon and when the sun when the sun reaches a high place and then starts to go down that's evening and of course we say p.m. that's that's right. evening right but then there's also the evening where the sun is actually getting close to the horizon and you know, starts to tr- the sky turns red and it starts to get dimmer we call that evening as well and so did ancient Israelites so between the evenings, um, is the the phrase used. So so that was in the afternoon, and typically the, the Passover lambs were killed uh, between like three and five p.m. And um, um, you know in the Gospels it says that's that is that is the time that Jesus was crucified to.
0: Wow.
1: Right. Right then when uh, at the temple, all of the, the Passover lambs were being killed. Uh, Jesus at that same time was being flogged and then uh, nailed to the cross and, um, and all of those horrible things. So so uh, he fulfilled that. Now, um, uh, there is kind of an interesting uh, glitch in the, uh, the Gospels, and that is uh, the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, so Matthew Mark and Luke they all say that the Last Supper or they they, they don't necessarily say but they imply they imply very strongly that the uh, the Last Supper was the Passover hmm. uh, however uh, John says that it was before the Passover um, now um, uh, at which I agree I agree with John because um, if Jesus had kind of uh, eaten the Passover and then been killed the following day, he would he would have not have been the Passover lamb. Right. I think it's more important for him to be the Passover than to partake keep the, the Passover. Lamb. Right. And actually, in Luke, he says uh, he says I have really want. He says I have desired with desire, great desire to eat this Passover, but I'm not going to I'm not going to partake again until until the kingdom. basically so um, anyway there's some things uh, we probably won't get into it but there's um, looking at the Greek uh, construction of the sentences in Matthew um, Mark and Luke um, it actually it actually can be uh, translated a couple of different ways and I think the better translation is rather than at some point, it says on the first day of unleavened bread. The better translation is: it actually says before, before the feast um. of unleavened bread. They were getting, they were making preparations. So anyway, that's uh, just a little side note. But um, I do think Jesus was—he you know, was crucified when the lambs were being slaughtered. Slaughtered, yeah. Um, okay, um, so those responsible for his death too—the uh, Passover uh the Passover rituals actually tell us about that too. And it's it's really tempting sometimes to point to the Romans. Say, ah, uh, you know, those those dirty Romans, they're the ones that killed Jesus. Or even to say, ah, uh, those uh, the Jews, especially the you know the corrupt Jewish leadership, they're the ones that killed Jesus. Um but you know who uh you know who kills the Passover?
0: It's the actual people of Israel when they allow Barabbas to go free. Yeah, yeah,
1: the people. Yeah. Yep. the people. The people do that, and um, and uh, and that's what uh, in Exodus chapter twelve he says. You know, the father of every house, you're gonna you you are gonna kill the lamb, and it is uh, it is by them and and for them that the lamb is killed. And you know, um, I mean, that's a humbling thing to think about. Actually, I, I think about that sometimes when um, uh, you know when I'm doing the sacrament, uh, you know, with my family or fellowship or whatever. Uh, you know, we, we partake of the uh, the bread and the wine, uh, you know, in remembrance of Jesus. But uh, the guys the guys who are administering right. are the ones who are ripping flesh. Right. Yeah, this is me. This is my sins. Every time I tear it I just think of my, you know, my sins. And this is what I this is what I did to my Saviour, you know. Yep. And I I his blood was poured out because of me. Yep. And for me. And it was not the Romans who shed his blood. That was me. Yep. You know. So
0: I think there's also an interesting parallel there too that We know that there was a large faction of Israel that wasn't happy that Rome was there. Yeah. Right? Right. And and rightfully so. I don't think any of us would be happy with an occupying power. Very few. Having said that, because of political strifes, they were so angry they preferred a murderer over somebody else. And I think that that can be kind of a cautionary tale as well. Right? And and I get some flack for this. Um, I liked Trump as a president. I thought he did some good stuff. I was a huge fan when he moved to the embassy. To Jerusalem yeah, right. I'm like yeah. I didn't see that coming so oh, really? I yeah yeah I, cool. I I definitely didn't vote for Hillary but I did write in another candidate I I did write in Ted Cruz because I just didn't think Trump was was um, a constitutionalist. Hmm. I was wrong I'll admit that he was better than I thought he was The one thing that scared me about Trump was that he appealed to everybody's anger Oh absolutely. And that to me is always troubling, and I think you see parallels in that with what happened with Barabbas and Jesus. Right? Yeah. People are so angry that that they're being occupied. We want, we want not Jesus. Right? We don't. They weren't looking. Whoever who, it doesn't matter. It's right? Not Just not Jesus. anybody to make the it's Romans life true. harder. Yeah, and we yeah. know that Barabbas, he was he was one of the zealots. Right? He yeah. was one of those hanging out down by the Galilee, performing guerrilla tactics and that sort of thing. Because let's face it, if he's murdering other Jews, the Jewish people probably are more like, yeah, you keep him. We'll take Jesus. Barabbas is killing, quote, the right people. And so that political anger can be somewhat blinding. And I think it's a cautionary tale to be very careful who you're pinning to.
1: Yeah, no. That's, that. blinding is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. When you know. when
0: you let your anger dictate a lot of your decisions, you can do a lot of silly crap when you're angry. And that was, that was my only knockout. And,
1: and it's, it's not only, uh, yeah. And it's, and it's the anger of a crowd too.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that mob mentality.
1: Yeah. You've seen those, uh those motivational posters. Like Scott, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. This Eagle soaring or whatever, or it's the cat, cat
0: hanging on that says, hang in there. Yeah. yeah. Hang in
1: there in excellence and persevere and all that. There's, there's also, there's a, there's a company, there's probably a few companies that make, uh, not motivational posters, but demotivational. I've posters. seen
0: those. Those are awesome. They're
1: hilarious. My, my favorite one though, is, um, um, it's pictures of all these hands like in the middle, like we're going to, we're going to do a go team kind of thing. But the caption is like, uh, um, I think the caption says teamwork, and, but then the the subtitle is uh, "None of us is as dumb as all of us."
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's easy.
0: There's so many great symbolisms within the <laughs> Passover, and when you start looking at what happens to Jesus, it's 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 good stuff.
1: Yeah. It's the it's the best. So, um, okay. Uh, you know his time in the tomb and the time of his resurrection. This is really cool too because um, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he uh, picks up on this in his writings and he refers to Jesus as the first fruits of them that slept. Okay. Um, and this is talking about the the first fruits of the barley harvest. And and equating that to the resurrection, and Paul has plenty of imagery uh, about this. Um, But uh, as I said, you know the uh, uh, and this happens during Passover, um, and it happens on um, happens on. As I said, the the Sadducees felt like it should always be on a Sunday, and uh, the Pharisees thought it should be the second day, and sometimes those were the same. And the year that uh, and I love this too about uh, about Jesus is that um, I think the year that he died, those were actually the same day. the same day. So it actually satisfied both both, both calendar systems. <laughs> okay but um, uh, but basically, Jesus is the the first sheaf of the resurrection or the first fruits mm-hmm. of the resurrection. So and what that means is no one else can partake of the resurrection until that first sheaf is offered. Right. Okay. and he and Jesus says that to uh, to Mary in the garden he says I, uh, he says don't hold me Some of the, the translations say don't touch me but that's not what he was intending I don't believe He says don't hold me as in don't hold me back um, I need to go uh, present myself to the Father right as that as that first sheaf of the resurrection and then once that is done then other uh, other folks can partake of. Resurrection too. Gotcha. So, so that was fulfilled there as well. So, um, really, uh, really amazing stuff. Now, um, uh, how is it? uh, How is it uh, celebrated? Uh, You know these things. Well the uh, the modern the modern celebration uh, really is uh, in a seder. So seder, Passover seder, is. Oh, a seder means an ordered meal. Mm-hmm. So they have this symbolic meal, and there's kind of these uh, parts. It's kind of like a play almost. And you know, the father will say something, and then the family will say something, and then you know, the children will say something. And there's kind of a script that you read. And um, in a lot of ways, I the the seder is very much like the endowment. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the reason for that actually are gonna I'm gonna read let's see if I wrote it down. Uh, let's see. Well it's in Exodus thirteen somewhere. <laughs> okay. So one of the, one of the commandments uh, connected to Passover is that you're supposed to teach this to your children. Right. Forever. And you're supposed to do these things and you know keep this as a memorial forever. Um, that's how important it is. So in uh Exodus 13, starting at verse 14. Um let's see actually. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm gonna read I'm gonna start at verse eight. So um, just before that, he's talking about seven days of unleavened bread. And uh, verse 8 says, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying... Um, And by the way, this... I'm going to back up to (laughs) 5. Sorry. Exodus 13, verse 5. It says, When when the Lord shall bring thee into the land. Okay. So when the Lord brings them into the land, um, was there anyone who was brought into the land who actually experienced what happened in Egypt.
0: No, because they all the old generation died off in the wanderings. No one except uh, Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. Yep. That's it. So, but even though even
1: though n- none of the people there uh, who will be brought into the land actually experienced it, uh, this is the commandment that they're given. It's really amazing. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which... Jehovah did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. See so um even nowadays like you are uh, the commandment is that when you have your family sitting around the table and you're eating unleavened bread and lamb and bitter herbs and uh you know you you tell the story you're supposed to tell your children this is what God did for me when I came out of Egypt and and every generation is supposed to tell this is what God did for me when I came out when he took me out of Egypt throughout your generations because um one um uh one our ancestor story is our story yep uh and two um this is uh, this is a and we've mentioned it several times this is a personal story that gets told over and over you know, in the endowment, it says uh, each of you is supposed to consider yourselves as though you were yep. Adam and Eve. Right? We weren't Adam and Eve, and yet we and yet we are Adam and Eve. And this is a story about us, and we are learning. Uh, you know, we are taking upon ourselves this the identity of our ancestors, and and going through the things that they went through, and learning about the things that they experienced. Uh, in hopes that we can have the blessings that they had, right? And so when we uh, when the seder um, when the seder meal is done, and we tell the story and we go through these this uh, ceremonial reenactment of that night, each of you is to consider yourselves as though you were there in Egypt, right? And you were freed, and you tell your children, "This is what God
0: did for me, yeah. personally." You know that's one of the things I love about Mormonism, is that. You can always tell where God has been because he leaves an impression that lasts for generations. And preceding generations harken back to it. We do this with our youth, right? And this this will ring true, especially in the LDS church. How many times have they went back Trek. and reenacted Trek, right? Yeah, Why exactly, would you do that? It's that the exactly. same thing. It is God was in the details of that. How do I know? Because his impression is so defined that we now have successive generations. Echoes through
1: the generations.
0: Going back to reenact those things, to have an appreciation, to have that experience. It's the same thing he did with the Jewish nation, with Israel. Reenact this. This is just, it's just like he went through it. Yeah. It's just like the endowment. That's a good idea. Because you're going to pass through what the ultimate ancestor passed through yeah. to get here.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's like the, uh, I mean, I'm reminded of uh, lectures on faith. I think it's six or seven. I can't remember now, but it's basically like, you want you want the the blessings that your ancestors had. Mm-hmm. You do what they did. Yep. And and it is vain for you to think that you can have the same blessing without the same sacrifice. You do what they did, you'll get the blessing they got. And, That's it. That's the rule.
0: And I think it's also a, a fulfillment of that promise where you know the hearts will be turned to the fathers and the hearts of the children shall be turned to their fathers and their fathers to their children. Yeah, I think that is very much a part of that because what better way to have your heart turned to your ancestors than to do as they did, to experience what they experienced. And if I'm not mistaken, the Seder meal has some pretty bitter herbs. You're going to recoil at the experience just like your ancestors did. That's
1: right. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful, but that... uh... That, like, welding link between the generations is built yeah. into the commandments surrounding surrounding uh, the observance yeah. of Passover. So, um, yeah, now there's, uh, so the Seder, like I said, the Seder is in, Seder is found in a book called the Haggadah. The Haggadah, Haggadah means the telling. So this, this contains... And I'm holding one here for those of you who can't see. But the Haggadah contains the the story of Passover, which they're commanded to tell, and also kind of the instructions for the meal. Right. Um, And, uh, yeah, it involves these symbolic elements. The main, uh, you know, the symbolic elements that are required uh, by the scriptures are uh, lamb, unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs. And you mentioned... uh, bitter herbs can be many things, but traditionally that involves horseradish. And um and the tradition with that is that you're supposed to take like the size of an olive. Like and it's uncomfortable, right? And it's supposed to be. It's supposed to bring you to tears, you know. Yep. <laughs> and it does. Okay. Now there are there are additional um symbolic elements that have been added um over time, and that includes like uh, washing of hands There's a couple of times where this is done And um, eating this uh, Mixture called haraset Which is basically made from Fruits and nuts and uh, Juice or wine Kind of boiled together into a paste And this is to remind them of like the mortar That they made bricks with right. and stuff Okay um, And there's also these uh, these Cups of wine Uh, the tradition is four cups of wine at various points throughout the meal. Um, and, uh, so a little side note on that, by the way. Um, I don't know if you, have you you ever, have you seen, um, Don, Don Bradley's book, uh, The Lost 116 Pages?
0: I've seen it. I've never read it.
1: Uh, excellent book. Highly recommend it. Um, he has some really interesting, um, historical background that has been dug up about the contents of the lost pages and um, at least one of the interesting details uh, that's lost is that at the time um, when Lehi uh, and his family make their exodus from Jerusalem it is during this festival of the Jews and uh, there's good evidence um, from there's good evidence that this was that Lehi probably left during Passover And uh, the fact that uh, the fact that Nephi found Laban drunk uh, in the streets probably is because he was out. He probably had more than four cups of wine. (laughs) But anyway, but it was probably connected with Passover. And there's a lot of actually uh, Passover imagery kind of in the the Hmm. Exodus of Lehi and his family. So, so there's a little Mormon another another Mormon uh, connection there. So um, anyway, um, the uh, the seder. Um, is interesting because n- nobody actually knows who wrote the Seder. There's there's many different kind of versions, um, that have come up over the years. But but we know that it's uh, about two thousand years old, at least. Interesting though, just a smidge. Yeah. Interesting though is um um many many things in Christianity, uh, and Mormonism included. Um, have you know either uh, I will say continued uh, continued or borrowed symbolism and elements uh, from Judaism, uh, but the the exchange has gone the other way too,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's actually uh, there's actually very good there's some there's some good evidence that the um, the Jewish Seder actually was a response to the uh, the Christian celebration of Passover. Because the Last Supper, which although it was not a Passover, definitely had Passover significance, right? And so in the Seder, there's washing of hands. In the Last Supper, there's washing of feet. Um, there is the the bread. There's the wine, right, which is in the Seder too. There's um, um, Jesus dipping his, his uh, bread into some sort of dip, the sop it says right and of course uh, Judas dips with him right but uh but in the in the seder, there's these the horoset like i said they actually dip into the horoset and also there's salt water um, that's vegetables are dipped in at another time but um so there's all these uh and there, there's several cups actually of wine uh in the in the last supper there was uh there's cups mentioned in you know throughout the synoptic right. gospel so um anyway the oldest account uh, in, of any historical account that we have of anything that looks like a Seder is actually the Last Supper and so um, this actually is a uh, it has its roots there right. I believe so um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say so um, anyway the seder's, uh the seder's great we usually have um, oh I don't know what I was going to say so there is, there is some controversy um, about uh, whether or not you should have lamb uh, in modern times. So rabbinic Jews, um, they definitely frown upon um, eating lamb uh, during the Seder. And a big part of that is because they have no temple.
0: No absence of a temple. Yeah. Right.
1: And they say uh, uh, there are some verses in Deuteronomy that um uh if you read it one way it seems to say that um uh, that the the passover needs to be killed at the temple oh. and in second in second temple times like in jesus' day that is kind of the practice at least for the people who were living in uh Jerusalem they would bring their lambs to the temple to kill them and then take them home and and eat them um <clears throat> but uh I don't want to get into the details there but uh, uh but this is in Deuteronomy 16 and, I, and it, anyway I think Deuteronomy 16 is actually describing the um, the national celebration of Passover versus the individual familial okay. celebration of Passover which is described in Exodus 12 and 13. Um, Passover or unleavened bread by the way is uh this is a, here's another kind of Mormon connection there's there's uh, some times of the year when everyone is supposed to come together, um, come to the temple come to Jerusalem and um, bring their offerings and also just receive instructions from the the priests and stuff and one of them is in the spring uh, passover which is around April and one of them is in at the Feast of Tabernacles uh, which is in you know around October usually so um, although the uh, you know the LDS General Conference, you know, they're around the beginning of April and the beginning of October, they're not, they don't always line up with unleavened bread and tabernacles, but uh, there's definitely an echo there. The other time, the, other, the third time when, uh, and this is supposed to be, this is just for the men. Other people, you know, the women are allowed to, there's no restriction there, but the men are required to show up and bring their offering, represent the family and um, bring their offerings, like I said, and you know, receive instruction and stuff. The other time is uh, Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks, so which is uh, coming up soon, and yeah, you're gonna you're gonna give us a talk there yeah. at the uh, the Restoration Torah Conference. We'll talk more about that next yeah. time, I guess. But uh, um, anyway, there's controversy about uh, about that, but I am convinced that um, although there are you know sacrifices and stuff that were supposed to be done by the Levites and done in the temple. And you, know, Joseph Smith himself said, uh, someday those things are going to be done again. When, again, and, and Joseph Smith says the same things that the rabbis say, which is when the temple is built, um, when there's a, a proper place to do um, these ironic things, that there will be a renewal, um, at least partly, of the, uh, the animal sacrifices as part of the restoration of all things. Um, however, when I read the when I read Exodus and read about the, the Passover lamb, there's there's no Levites involved. It's just the father of every family is supposed to do it. There's no temple involved. You do it at your at your house, and so we we do that. We have uh, you know a lamb that we've raised, uh, in, you know I have one in my backyard right now that's getting bigger by the day, and uh, you know we'll slaughter and roast that lamb. I built an oven in our backyard. So, and that'll feed, excuse me, that'll feed. Well, we usually have uh, something like 60 to 70 people. Wow. Who come. And, and of course, we, we don't only eat the lamb, but we eat the lamb and, and then uh, eat the, uh, the bitter herbs and the matzah and, and the haraset and, and the glasses of wine and, and have the Seder. And it's a, it's a good experience.
0: That's awesome. And so when are you doing that this time?
1: So this, uh, this year, um, it's going to be April 5th, the evening of April 5th.
0: The evening of April 5th.
1: Yep. Um, uh, Will be uh, Passover. Paso- the day that the, quote, the day of Passover, or the day that the lamb is killed is going to be the 5th. But then uh, as the 5th goes into the evening, you know, after sundown, then that becomes the, the 15th day. Of gotcha. the first month, which then is the first day of unleavened bread, which is uh, when the lamb is supposed to be eaten. So the lamb is killed on the 14th and then eaten uh, with the, the matzah and the bitter herbs on the 15th, the evening of the 15th. Wow. So. Um,
0: it's got to be an emotional experience.
1: Oh, you can't. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I'm definitely not a vegetarian. Uh, and I have no problem going to the store, you know, and buying this uh, yeah, processed, bloodless, gutless, hairless, odorless uh, piece of meat, you know, wrapped in styrofoam and, uh, you know, plastic wrap or whatever, faceless. Um, but, yeah, the first time, uh, the first time that I, you know, actually slaughtered a lamb for my family to eat, uh, it was hard and it still is hard. I I don't I don't do it that often. I mean, I do it once once a year, you know. Uh I I didn't know if I could do it the first time actually. I mean, right. It's, it's, which is but it was it was a little it was surprising actually. We mentioned that before like I didn't I didn't I didn't really think about it. I didn't anticipate having a problem. But man, when I when I uh you know, went to uh you know, we cut its throat. You know, to slaughter it. But uh, that was. It took a long time for me to get up the. The courage, you know. I guess I don't know if courage is the right word, but just the. Uh, the strength to do it, and then and then the loss that I felt was just. Palpable too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and. <clears throat> again, I think that's designed for a reason, right? Yeah. That's that's to show you if you feel this way about an animal imagine essentially having to offer up your own firstborn who did nothing wrong yeah lived the perfect life yeah yeah
1: i have my uh until uh until my when my kids are young um i I don't really you know when they're really little i don't really want them out there right it's hard to understand but, um, but as soon as they're 8, the, before that, if they're interested, they can come watch. But after they turn 8, they're required. Like, you have to see what is being done on, on your, your behalf. behalf. Now you are, you know, now that you're old enough, you're going to be accountable. You need to understand. And I think that's a that's a powerful
0: image, you know. Absolutely it is. Yeah, And... <laughs> I hunted for a long time. I stopped mm-hmm. hunting about five years ago. And mainly because I got lazy. I'll mm-hmm. admit, the, the last time I woke up in October to a foot of <sighs> snow up in the mountains, I'm like, yeah. What are we doing here? What are we doing? <laughs> but no matter how many times I went hunting, there's still that twinge. I mean, there's still that, whew, that feeling. And and i think that's healthy. i think that's good yeah i think it's healthy yeah i think that's healthy i think i think it does two things you become truly grateful for that animal you you become truly grateful the the idea that that this is something anyone would take joy or pleasure in is is a silly silly thing now i'm sure that there are those and them i would question ever having them around my kids right but yeah so this isn't something that's taken lightly and i could tell by the way you know you look that that that's something you take pretty seriously and pre- it weighs on you yeah absolutely
1: so anyway we usually have uh we usually start it's kind of an all-day thing we'll have people show up uh at the house around noon and then there's all kinds of preparations yeah. You know, cutting up vegetables and we we have a big you know with the um, the kitchen turns into a big matza making factory. We basically <laughs> mix up dough and roll it out flat and uh, uh, bake it or uh, you know cook it in pans or things like that. And so, I mean, we just cook, you know, hundreds of pieces of matzah and uh, people are chopping up vegetables and getting tables set. P- people are outside, uh, you know, um, skinning and gutting and roasting uh, the lamb. And so it's kind of a, a production and it's a, an all day thing and it's. It's great, so um, that's what we do to uh, celebrate basically. Um, and then of course, and then we actually just eat matzo the, the whole week, you know right so um, yeah, it's good. We are this year we're actually going to um, uh, there's a, a lady in uh, the ward uh, where I live who has this enormous nativity set um, collection. Hmm. So on um, the evening of the April fifth, we're gonna have the uh, the seder and all of that, and then um, the morning of April sixth, uh, we're gonna go look at uh, all these. Nat- she's gonna nice. set out these nativity sets for us to come and nice. take a look at. So that'll be that'll be fun.
0: That's awesome. Well, dude, that's good stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I one other thing I will say is uh this um first fruits, uh this like I said, it's on uh I I subscribe to the uh the Kerite uh idea, which is also the Sadducee idea, which is that it's supposed to be on the Sunday during unleavened okay. bread. Okay. So um uh actually I just remembered something else I wanted to mention. This is a nice segue into it. But um this actually this is um this is Easter. Right. Easter is uh not always but almost always um the Sunday during Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Feast of Unleavened Bread, sorry.
1: Yes, to be to be precise. To- which yeah. is which is in common parlance often called Pass a week of Passover. Um so that's fine. Um now, interesting thing about that, though, is the uh, at the council. I mean, this goes to this goes to the Great Apostasy. Here, we're going to talk about the Great Apostasy. A little we're
0: going bit. straight to the Nicaea, <laughs> aren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, three twenty-five um, council at Nicaea. Uh, Constantine is presiding, and um, one of the big things that they attempt to accomplish here. Well, let me back up here. Uh, when you know when Mormons talk about the Great Apostasy, there's a couple of parts to it, right? One is um, there's like physical persecution, and uh, you know the apostles are being killed off, and you know maybe other other priesthood leaders, right? So there's this interruption in the uh, right. transmission of priesthood. Of priesthood, um, and then the other thing that we often talk about is this this corrupting influence of pagan Greek. Greek, uh, pagan, and philosophical ideas, you know, corrupting right. doctrine and things like that. Um, the thing that we don't talk about, though, is that there was there was an intentional, and this happened at Nicaea, which was the first, the first council, um, as far as I know, like the first um, church council. But one of their goals was, we got to figure out. How to get rid of all of this Israelite stuff that is encumbering the church, and we want the church to be non-Israelite as possible. We want to have nothing in common with those detestable Jews, mm. and so we're going to calculate Easter a different. We're going to we're not going to rely on the Jewish calendar to calculate Easter, although they they, they basically came up with a, a different way to calculate it that ends up being equivalent, pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there was uh, the Jew- any of the, any Jewish bishops, and there were still, at this time, there were still Jewish bishops. they were all um, excluded from the council, and they made these decisions um, to intentionally get rid of um, the Jewish ideas. And one of them was the, the observance of Passover. This was actually a big part of the apostasy that eventually became Catholicism is uh we need to root out these there's these christians are still observing passover um and the feast of unleavened bread and we do not want them to do that anymore um and you know we're going to we're going to celebrate easter and eventually you know this this turns into uh egg-laying rabbits and, you know celebrating right. the resurrection which is just so so weird but uh um but we'd rather have that than Anything to do with like Exodus and right. and, uh, the uh, uh, and the symbolism involved there, and the you know there were kind of holdouts. I think of early Christians who continued to celebrate this up until about 400 AD when the church is finally able to stamp it out uh, from being practiced um, in Christianity. So, um, so when I look at uh, keeping. The these feasts and Passover in particular, like I just consider it as part of the restoration, and this is like pushing back, like undoing the the things that were done as part right. of the
0: apostasy, the Great Apostasy. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, there's no. That. That's awesome. I had uh, again my good buddy who whose dad was a rabbi. He told me because I was really concerned. Right, I was thinking. When I was first thinking about, you know, these feasts and that sort of thing, when I lived in Maryland, I was always super nervous because I didn't want to, I wouldn't want somebody creeping into the temple who wasn't supposed to be there. Likewise, I didn't want to be that guy creeping in on somebody else's tradition that shouldn't be there. To my surprise, even Joel's dad was like, no, we welcome it. Mm -hmm. He's like... I, you want to come we, join us? Yeah. yeah, I mean my my first my first uh, seder was was at his house. Oh, amazing! And and I was so glad I got to do it. And he explained it. He was like, "No, no." He's like, "If you're a Christian, if you profess to follow Christ, why wouldn't you do this?" He's mm. like,
1: "Okay, Well, that's a very
0: why why wouldn't you do this?" That was Jesus's religion, was it not? Absolutely. And I was like, it "Was man? Well, yeah, no, you got a point." So. I, I think sometimes we feel like, well, that's theirs. This is ours, mm. and I think it's like you were saying, a hangover from, from, from the apostasy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and there's um, um, one more thing I want to bring up is that um, Passover Passover is a part of the restoration too. Not just in, not just keeping the Seder like I do, because, like, I mean, we don't really have evidence that Joseph Smith kept a Seder, for example. Right. Um, but, uh, but the imagery of Passover is embedded in the fabric of the Restoration. So, anciently, we talked about Israel being born as a nation on Passover. That happened, again, that was, Passover is the day the church was reestablished. April 6th. 1830 um, the uh, April 6th 1830 was the 13th of the first month but they the meeting was into the evening so it was on the 14th it was on Passover wow. when the church was um, reestablished in the hmm. okay and then um, there's another interesting thing um, that's part of the Seder and this is it's kind of a mysterious thing um, but, uh, when, but, you know, Mormons will appreciate the symbolism here, uh, is that there's always this place at the table left for Elijah. Right. Right. And the, um, it's interesting because there's, in our, uh, in the standard works, uh, there's one prophecy that is repeated in all of them. And it's only one, uh, one prophecy. And that is, uh. The great and dreadful day of the Lord, um, when um, uh, Elijah will come to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers, and that's something Elijah, like it's one of his missions, and that's repeated in you know, the Bible, the Doctrine and Covenants, um, the Pearl of the Great Price, and the Book of Mormon. All have that prophecy right. repeated. Um, so you know, Mormons are look, appreciate that too for that symbolism, and so yeah, they'll they'll have a. They'll have the table set, and the family will be sitting around the table, but there will be a gap,
0: right, uh,
1: where Elijah's place will be set, and um, you know, a Mormon looking at that might might think about sealing and like, oh look, if a Eli- lot when Elijah comes, then that actually completes the the family, right? Um, so now that prophecy about the uh, Elijah coming.
0: That was filled in fulfilled in Kirtland right yeah yeah, yeah
1: the uh, the Old Testament doesn't uh, doesn't have a time associated with that but for some reason and I don't know the reasons for this but for some reason that in the Jewish mind has been associated with Pat they were looking for that to occur at Passover time Feast of unleavened bread um, and yes you're right so April 3rd 18 was it 30. Uh, two? I don't remember. Enough. I
0: believe it was thirty-two. Uh,
1: let's see. I can actually I look. could that be wrong, here. but yeah. Let me just look it up real quick. But anyway, yeah. Um, right. The, uh, the uh, dedication of the Kirtland Temple. Elijah comes. Um, and, uh, uh that's good. Mm. Oh, gosh. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, I'm just looking here through the seder. There's a couple other things I want to mention that uh, are just kind of cool. Um, oh, here it is: 1836, April 3rd, 1836. Um, okay, uh, another one, another big one is that the Passover is uh, when you when you're slaughtering the lamb, you're not allowed to break any bones,
0: hmm.
1: and um, Jesus fulfilled this too because. You know, when he was crucified, uh, he actually the uh, you know the Roman soldier came to break right. his legs to make sure that it was done, but decided to poke him with a spear instead, and and he was dead already, and so right. no bones were broken. So this was a fulfillment of that um, the Passover ritual as well. So anyway, amazing stuff. So. Yeah, so we have those, uh, you know, those other um, fulfillments in, as part of the restoration. These the uh, establishment of the church, um, the birth of the Latter Day Church, and the uh, the visit of Elijah. There, so it's pretty cool stuff.
0: That's awesome. So that book, the uh, the Hagada. The Hagada is that available online somewhere?
1: You can get them online. This one is one. This one is one that. Uh, um, that my father put together. Okay. Actually, he edited and compiled this, and then um, and then I've kind of added to it uh, since, and added some you know extra, uh, added recipes to the back and stuff for the matzah and other things. So, um, but if you'd uh, if you'd like a copy, I'll leave this one with you.
0: Oh, thank you. Um,
1: I have Ke- Kevin Kraut prints these for me. Oh, does he? So, if anyone wants uh, a copy of my hagata, you just go to uh, Old Pioneer Press in Santaquin, Utah and Kevin Kraut look, I've got some uh, some horror set on there that someone spilled. It's all good. So,
0: it's
1: all good. Um, and ask uh, ask if you can if he'd print you out a copy of Joshua Erickson's Nice Passover Seder. And, and he'll
0: know exactly what yeah. you what you're talking about. Yeah. Dude, I'll I'll tell you what, as we went through these I'm continually amazed at how many episodes in the restoration historically just continue to land on these days oh, yeah. over and over and over. God is definitely using his calendar still. Yep. Absolutely. Whether we, whether we want to admit it or not. Whether we are aware. Yep. Yeah, That's yep. right. And, and when I think it also speaks to this idea of there's some responsibility if you're going to call yourself Israel. There, there are things that that are required of you, and even if you think that you don't want to do those things, if you're really committed, you'll find yourself there, yeah, whether you want to or not, yeah. And that's just just kind of the way it is, and yeah, I'm I'm just continually amazed at the precision at which it's all it is all unfolded. To to stay in in lockstep with that, so and this was the last one of these, right?
1: No, one more. What weeks? Yeah, Feast of Weeks. Okay. Also All known right. as Shavuot. Also known as Pentecost. Nice.
0: Nice. Yep. All right. Do we miss anything? Anything else? I think
1: else? that's. Oh, there's much more that we could talk about as far as details, one... but this is this is a good overview. Yeah. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, dude. As always, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye, everybody. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.